more fireball I, I've, I've i'm drawing a line I, i'm moving to tennessee fire woohoo oh yes cost less and gets you fucked up harder that's great mm. welcome folks yeah. to geek shock number 568 i am master torgo 80s jeff commander k fact check dandy maple leaf matt professor biggs Oh, we got the professor. You know, going forward, we are going to have uh, a guest host while we're doing these digital things on most weeks. Can't promise them every week, but but every week we're going to try to have somebody uh, new to join us in each one of these. And hopefully uh, people that have been on Geek Shock in the past or Ugly Couch Show way back in the day for those who will, who will join us on this endeavor. So our first official guest host is Steve Biggs, the Professor Biggs that you know and love. Uh, <laughs> well, at least they know him. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, no, no. <laughs> Fuck you all. To... <laughs> <laughs> because Torgo doesn't feel he has enough work to do. <laughs> That's right. Bring it on. Bring it on is what I say. Okay, so this uh, this week we're going to do something uh, we haven't done in a while at the end of the episode. We are going to have a spoiler discussion. Uh, we haven't had one in a while because, well, there haven't been any, any movies to spoil. But uh, The Mandalorian Season 2 just ended this week. I think every week since Mandalorian Season 2 has been on, either Jeff or Kirsten has brought up that they watched the episode, and that's the first thing they talked about. And every time it was like, "Ah, I can't discuss it because we can't spoil it. Uh, Well, this week we are going to spoil it. But if you haven't seen it, we're going to do it at the end of the show, and we will give you plenty of warning so that you don't have to worry about getting uh, waylaid from the left or right, depending Right. And Mike Gaff last week with the uh, talking about the movie it was inspired by, I realized afterwards that was because I hadn't actually seen the episode, which I did not catch. I was like, wait, that's nothing. I don't understand how that does that to the, you know, it's like, oh, because I didn't see the movie yet. I didn't see the episode yet. And every person listening is going, what the fuck is he talking about? (laughs) Yeah, including including me, too. Like, what? What? Is Last this in regards week, to the sorcerer comparison? Yes, that? yes. Okay. And I was and I was like honestly trying to figure out what the hell he was talking about because I thought I'd seen all the episodes and I hadn't. Ah. And then I saw the episode. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes lots of sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, here wow. it comes. What geeky things did you do this week, Professor Biggs? Oh, well, let's see. I had to start uh, last week a little bit. I just on a whim, and I saw it on Amazon Prime. They had the documentary, uh, What We Left Behind, about uh, Deep Space Nine. So good. And, and it, it's really good, and it got me kind of in the mood to do a Deep Space Nine rewatch, which I haven't. That's probably like that and Voyager are probably the two shows that I haven't ever done a rewatch on. So I'm, I just... I'm in, still in the middle of uh, season one, and I just saw the the one and only, I believe it's the one and only Q episode for Deep Space Nine. So I did that and uh, watched The Mandalorian. <laughs> and uh, so far as geeky things this week, I think that's about it. Since you've well, already done the rewatch, Steve, would you say that people are too harsh on Voyager? Because that does seem to be the case with me when I did the rewatch a few years ago, and then 
Uh, I've still heard people just complain about Voyager top to bottom, and I'm like, I don't think it deserves this. Well, I've, I, I haven't been doing a Voyager rewatch. I've always thought Voyager got a little short shrift. The only thing that I didn't like about Voyager was that, that they abandoned their premise like after six episodes, and it basically just became a sort of generic Star Trek show. Mm. But the whole thing about Starfleet and the Maquis trying to work together, well, they... They solved that in about six episodes. <laughs> yeah. I think that was my big disappointment with Voyager as well. It started off with this fantastic premise about getting our way home, uh, sleeping with the enemy. Then uh, there it went. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, if I were king of the Star Trek franchise, by the time you got to season seven, I would have had Voyager just beat the shit up. Like, oh, yeah. Like to the point where. If we don't get home soon, we're never getting home because the ship's falling apart. Because the replicators aren't working anymore. This isn't working anymore. We have we can't get these spare parts. They're stuck in the middle of the Delta Quadrant. There's there's no Federation out there. There's no, you know, there's no support systems. I would have played into that a little bit more. I forget which season it was with the Krenim, the Year of Hell. Yeah. yeah. But then yeah. they like retconned that with. Once they destroyed the main ship, like the timeline all corrected itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, the credit. Oh, oh, yeah, that was, it should have been more like that. They did beat the ship to hell several times, but then the next week it looked brand spanking new again. That was, that was the only <laughs> yeah. gripe I had. was yeah. like, wow, it, this could mean something really significant moving forward. And the next week, oh, it's, it's, it's brand new once again. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the one thing you're all missing, and we all have to agree with, is that Neelix sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay, Paul. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> I agree with him on that one. He is uh yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with him on that. That he was just wow. The funny thing too is that to speak to Steve's point, they didn't really play the Neelix angle all that much. I mean they, they Neelix becoming the chef for crew morale. How about he's the chef because the replicators are have been scavenged? So he, okay, I'll cook. I know how to cook on a ship. And he's the cook for that reason. And also using him as the information node for, you know, the entire quadrant kind of petered out too. Yeah. And then they kind, of, they kind of went into there. Let's just make him funny. And it was sort of like, uh, guys, you, you really got a neat idea here if you would just do it. Yeah. For the episodes with Naomi. And him? Oh my god! I was, I was gonna say that's it's the only ones I ever had issue with was the <laughs> the Neelix and Naomi Wildman episodes because it's just like it was like getting slapped on both sides of your face at the same time. <laughs> not like, pleasant. Like, no, it's not. It's not that kid actor that the kid actress. She was good because the Naomi Wildman Seven of Nine episodes were good. I met her as an adult once. She does not look the same. She's actually what? Uh, She's not a kid anymore. No, I mean, I'm saying, but she doesn't look like she did in the in the the series. Um, yeah, it was it was really trippy because uh, I met her through a friend of mine, <laughs> and it was just like, oh, she played Naomi Wildman on Voyager, and I was like, what? And yeah, she's just this, you know, she was like 20, I think, at the time, and just like, gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And I was just so yeah, come here, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I oh. wouldn't go that far, but she she was. We quite know we know yeah. better, Jeff. We know better. Is this a clickbait thing where it's you won't believe what she looks like now? No, like I said, it I met her now. through a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm just saying that's the the clickbait is always posting. Right, right. right. Oh, Look yeah. here now, holy shit! 
Yeah. Yeah. By the way, hey guys, I've got breaking news. Okay. My my phone alert just went off. It looks like my my unemployment finally came through. Congratulations. Oh, Congratulations. Huzzah. Oh my goodness. How 20, yeah. 21 weeks that you were fighting that? Mm. Uh, something like that. 20 weeks. And God bless it, but the uh, the number actually reflects that. It's it's a big deposit. Oh, thank oh, goodness, great. brother. That's so good to hear. Unless some drug dealers are funneling money through my account. And that'd be fine, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It would. Now we can all send our happy energy towards me getting my health insurance, which is very confusing since I live in Connecticut and uh, should should have Nevada stuff. But that only gives you access to Nevada doctors. Yeah, you might (laughs) have to uh, temporarily change your residence to Connecticut and then I've I've got no. I've got no way to do that because I don't have any, I don't get any bills here. Yeah. What, Andy? You are you in... saying that the national health system is messed up? How dare I'm you? I'm saying that. I'm saying that. Welcome to AARP Shock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was great. This is, this, is, this is what the kids tune in for, guys. Oh, man. <laughs> Going back to uh, the Voyager aspect. When I started watching Battlestar Galactica and they hit that seven, that second episode where they lose a huge chunk of their water and then a, a few episodes later, they lose a whole big chunk of their ships. I'm like, this has the level of danger that I wanted for Voyager. Yeah. Right. Battlestar Galactica felt like, oh, this this is really a perilous journey where Voyager ends up being just kind of like uh, a, you know, a Disney cruise. Yeah. yeah, when uh, when Ron Moore came into the bar and and uh, Darren and I got to talk to him for a little bit, uh, we we were talking about Battlestar and and we had asked him something about you know his his motivation behind some of the things he did on the show and he said a lot of it was frustration from working on Star Trek because there were certain restrictions I had like I couldn't kill off uh, this character or I couldn't do this. I couldn't do anything that was permanent, anything that could not be undone later on. And he said with Mm -hmm. Battlestar, I did not have those restrictions. I could literally kill off anyone I wanted anytime I could destroy ships without having them magically be fixed in the next episode. And, you know, real consequences that I wasn't allowed to do with, uh, with the Star Trek episodes. And you can feel it. You can feel the difference. Yeah, I will say this about the Deep Space Nine rewatch, having fairly recently watched like the first season and a half of uh, Babylon 5, and everyone saying, oh, if you like if you like Deep Space Nine, you've got to watch Babylon 5. It's so much better. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take they, that, Matt. Yeah, they're, they're about, on, they're about <laughs> on par. The, the only reason to watch Babylon 5, the first season is garbage. I will agree with you. You have to watch it because it lays the groundwork for stuff that happens in like season five, like of course, yeah, uh, the yeah. story. Like it's a slow yeah. burn. Like, well, even yeah. Matt, you'll even admit too that like season two starts off really hard, and it's not until towards the end of season two of Bab Five that you really start getting some decent stories. Because I think halfway through season two, they changed the networks to where they started putting money into it, to one it, network, whatever it was. But yeah, it, it's, it, it uh, matters if you give a shit. It does, right? And there's a t-shirt. What I'm saying is, having watched both of them recently, one's not any real better than the other one. They're both... Oh, sure. Yeah, they're both about on par. 
the one thing about Babylon 5 that I was just like, oh my God, Straczynski, stop it, is the thing where they have a scene and then somebody leaves the scene and whoever's left says some little witty boma just to themselves. And I'm like, you could have said that to the other person, you know, <laughs> but why are you talking to yourself? <laughs> so it was just a little weird Babylon five trope that it was, it was pretty much like every two person scene, somebody would leave and the other person would have like one last line just to themselves. And I'm like, nobody talks like that. <laughs> and it's weird. It's very strange. You could have just said that to the person that just left. Oh, well. Okay, Maple Leaf Matt, what did you do this week? Pretty much just watched The Mandalorian, that's about it. Okay, like, so yeah. so we'll get into more of that later on. Uh, Andy, what did you didn't do? I watch all of it, because, you know, end credit scene. <laughs> Wait, you didn't, yeah. you, you, didn't, you didn't watch the end credit scene? Well, you weren't here for that? I'm doing this for the audience. <laughs> Matt! <laughs> We're doing everything for the audience. <laughs> 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 uh, he, he exclaimed watched... with surprise you didn't watch the ending scene <laughs> <laughs> and take two and action <laughs> <laughs> yes if, if, I... if you haven't watched the Mandalorian yet stay through the credits there's a Marvel style stinger at the very very end that is all uh, fanboy yay clap your hands together but we'll get into more of that later on so I finished up Archer, all of it. I've, I've seen every bit of Archer oh. produced. Yeah, enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, I've, I've seen all the way through season eleven. Yeah, wow. I'm like two episodes away from the end of season season eleven. Mm-hmm. It's holding up for me. Yeah, <laughs> and I've picked up. Uh, I've started picking up uh, Venture Brothers. It took me a while to figure out where I left off, but uh, I think the last episode I saw was Operation Prom, which I had to rewatch because. I started watching and it was making no sense. And I went back and I'm like, oh, yeah, now I got it all. Because that's <laughs> that stuff is really episodic. Stuff changes in that. Well, I guess it changes in Archer, too. And I uh, watched a couple of the librarian movies, which are eh, they're interesting. <laughs> they're they're no national treasure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm watching them because I was told the librarian series is pretty good. Um, the series, yes. TNT, I think, movies they made. Yes. Are uh, very uh, well. They're TNT movies. They're they're <laughs> movies made by people who haven't made a lot of movies. I guess um, <laughs> the series spun out of the movies, so right. I mean, they've got some. They've they've got some charm, but uh, they've got a real love for this weird gold sparkly effect for special effects. That's very uh, after school special magic. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're just. Not terribly well written, although I've got a lot of respect for Frakes as a director. I'm finding out that he's the director on a lot of episodic stuff I like. I, I really love uh, Leverage, and he's the director on a lot of that yeah. stuff. He was like their favorite director on that show. Like the entire cast was like, he was the one director we were always excited about when we found out he was coming back to, to do our show. Yeah. All right. Kirsten, what did you do? I've been binging this season of Discovery. Uh, to catch up on that, because Mr. Biggs is in town and we need to watch the final episode of the season. So I'm almost there <laughs> and I'm watching the post-apocalyptic Federation and stuff. So, so that's uh, what it's yeah, about, huh? Pretty much a thousand years in the future. Without giving <laughs> too much away, 
the Federation still exists, but a major disaster happened 150 years prior that really shook up the status quo uh, of the galaxy there. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't shown enough, in my opinion. Um, so I'm not exactly thrilled with that. But at the same time, I think it's still entertaining. It looks, it just looks great. I'm still having fun with it. So how much does Vernon hate it? <laughs> well, I don't think he got past the first couple episodes of the first season. So there you go. He Vernoned it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you, Kirsten, how many episodes are you into season season I've got, three? I've got three to go. Okay. So, so your episode five, you just finished? I guess so. Yes. Yeah, there's because so far there's only eight episodes because the the next round of episodes doesn't start until January, uh, like oh. end of January. So they're doing that again. All right. Yeah. Not only do they release it one episode at a time, but they also split up the season, so you have to wait for the next month to see the next part. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> CBS All Access figuring out how to make their money. They do have at least one more episode showing on New Year's Eve. Well, Happy New Year. Exactly. Because that's the that will be the eight hundredth episode of all of Star Trek. Does that include Star Trek Continues? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it does include the animated though, right? It does. Oh, yes, uh, yes. It includes all of the series, all of the movies, animated series, lower decks, everything. Yeah, anytime, anytime on Lower Decks, anytime they, they talk about Kirk and the original crew and they show them, it's always the animated series version of them. It's pretty fun. Great? <laughs> it, That's pretty funny. It is great. It's lower Decks, you can't say enough about it. The other thing I would comment on for geeky things, kind of film geeky, actually, is I saw Mank on oh, yeah. uh, a Netflix, which is uh, David Fincher's movie about uh, Herman Mankiewicz, the writer of the, the screenplay for Citizen Kane. It is an amazingly gorgeous, it's a brilliant black and white movie. That That's the biggest praise I can give it is that it's visually just amazing because I think it started out strong and it was really funny. I remember halfway through the movie, I'm like, my God, this movie is great to Steve. But for me, the third act kind of fell apart a bit. Yeah. And, uh, wasn't wasn't quite so satisfying but visually it is just absolutely stunning absolutely mm -hmm. stunning did you watch uh trumbo yes i did i saw that a couple weeks ago with my dad and he, he's hasn't stopped talking about that one funny because trumbo kind of a modern take whereas mank right from the get-go i loved it right from the beginning because right from the first image it's not just period in terms of its history. It's period in terms of the filmmaking, the yeah. film choices. Um, even the acting has a little bit of that mid-Atlantic little acting there that they got. You know? Yeah. So it's, mm. it's, it's, and, and I was just sitting there drinking all of that in. And I was just like, this is, this is wonderful. This is the most amazing thing. And visually, I mean, it is just some of the most awesome black and white cinematography you are ever going to see. Even the title sequence. 
I loved it. I loved the title sequence. It was just, I'm I'm sitting there with Steve and I'm just, this is coming up and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is just amazing. So it was like 20 minutes of of a black screen with uh, credits rolling up before the movie starts? No. No, okay. <laughs> it, it's it's more David O'Selznick era kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's really yeah. fun. And then Trent Reznor and I forget who Atticus. Uh, I forget Reznor's collaborator, um, but their music is is very Hermanesque as well. It's just great. I mean, there there's there so many notes that they hit. It's kind of. I'm a little sad that the the script I think kind of kind of missed a few beats at the end. But yeah, but I definitely <laughs> recommend watching it. Watch it and just be astounded at some awesome filmmaking. I, I, and this is one where you can sit there and go, "Fuck it!" This uh, you to see this in a theater would have been fun. Yeah, uh, it's right, on Jeff, my list. Speaking of your list, Jeff, what geeky things did you do this week? Today, uh, or I should say this morning, they uh, launched that reunited apart I talked about last week. Uh, that's. Uh, Karate Kid, uh, and actually it ended up being a, uh, a a super reunited apart, featuring the casts of Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3, as well as Cobra Kai. So it was, oh, it was wow. pretty incredible. It was like a 43-minute long episode, whereas the others are only about 30. But yeah, really good. Uh, they delved deep into the, dip, the three Karate Kid movies featuring Ralph Macchio, and then they talked about the genesis of the Cobra Kai series and um, like how the different actors got their their roles in each of the movies and then the TV series and so forth. So definitely worth a watch. Um, again, my my only gripe with that, apart from the fact that uh, Biggs hates Josh Gad, is it definitely seems like there's more content that's just being cut out because the transitions from an actor's response or a writer's response or a producer's response seems like it's clipped off when it moves into the next question. So that's really my only gripe with Reunited Apart, but still still quite enjoyable. As, as far as actors, we were talking about Hayden Christensen last week, and I actually hunted down Jumper and watched that. And yeah, he can act. He's yes. fun. What was it? Broken Glass? It's uh, also really... Uh, Shattered Glass, I think. Shattered Glass. The name of the movie, where yeah. he plays uh, the journalist. Yeah, he's also very good in that. Other thing I did was uh, there was a movie on Netflix called Ava, which was pretty good. Uh, Jessica Chastain plays Ava, who is like this elite assassin whose organization turns on her kind of thing. But still an enjoyable movie. Uh, It's also got John Malkovich in it, Colin Farrell. The acting's outstanding. It's I I don't want to say too much more because, yes, it's that standard storyline, but there's enough twists and turns in it that... It feels like a fresh new movie without being just recycled garbage, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed it, you know, and it's on Netflix, as I said. So those are the two main things that I, I got to this week, other than, All right. uh, you know, Mandalorian, which we will talk about later. <laughs> Although I did want to mention something I saw on Facebook regarding Mandalorian. Uh, Katie Sackoff had a... Uh, a nice little post that she put up where she talks about her father got her into geeky things and introduced her to Star Wars and so forth. And there's a picture that accompanies the post after she's goes through and thoroughly praises her father. There's a picture of her in costume on set with her father. And the, both of them have the most genuine smiles I think I've ever seen 
in a uh, you know a set. Well, you photo. lived with me, so you haven't seen a genuine smile in years. Well, I, I actually wasn't sure if that was him or Jonathan Frakes, so I'm glad to hear it was actually him. Yeah, it was her father. Uh, she got to bring her father on set, uh, and she was thanking Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau for allowing her to bring something like she said something like the biggest Star Wars fan onto set with me, and you know she got to live her dream and do and be in Star Wars, and she wanted to share that with her father, and it's it, it was just a really nice little thing that I saw. I was just like, wow, I'm actually touched by that. Well, guess what I did this week, guys? I played some pinball. Hey, oh, you know what? I think everyone's given up. I, I do. I, I think everyone's I given up. I think I think I've laid up scores that just are unbeatable. Everyone's just crying and, and gone home. That's that's oh, what's happening. No. I think they've just lost interest and they've all moved back onto Minecraft. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're slowly no, tearing down the. They're slowly tearing down the Church of Torgo in Minecraft. <laughs> there, there was never a church of Torgo in Minecraft. That's all right. You know what? There was. There was. How would you that, know? That, that, How that would very, you know? That very first city, there, there was a church of Torgo, and it was beautiful. And I, I appreciate. It. Uh, but no, they, they've been laying up some good scores. Uh, Jake especially has been playing a lot this week, and that's been good to see. Uh, Dave Raider's been on there, and uh, so if you get pinball effects, uh, there's only a few free tables that come with it. Uh, the Fishtails one, that's a classic pinball machine by Williams. And Ooh. then there's the one designed by Pinball Effects people, a Sorcerer's Lair, I think it is. It's been around for a good while, but it's a decent table. So even if you just get the game, you at least get those for free. But yeah, the rest of the tables you have to buy individually or in packs. But I will say that uh, some of those packs are on sale, still currently at this end-of-year sale for Sony. But uh, but it's it's still been fun. I've been uh, since uh, there has been a lot of changes in the main scores. I've been going down and going into people's. Uh, you can play two ways. You can play the classic pinball, the three balls, and and you're and you're good. And then they have some some challenges as well. They have the one ball challenge. You score as much as you can with one ball. They have the five minute challenge where you score as much as you can in five minutes. I'm sorry, Andy. How did uh, did you interpret one ball in the way I think you did? They would call it a Hitler challenge. <laughs> oh, yikes. Or the testicular cancer challenge. Oh, the yeah, that's so much wrong. better. <laughs> and then they have the uh, the survival challenge where you have to hit a certain amount of score within one minute. And if you hit that score, that minute clock starts over and gives out a higher score that you have to reach beyond that. So there's a lot of different ways of playing it. But I don't care as much for the challenges as I do for just classic pinball. Uh, but you know, if there's a score I got to beat, there's a score I got to beat. So I've been digging into people's challenges just to, just to take it all, just to take it all. Well, how do you think he does it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what makes him, what so, makes good? him so good? <laughs> well, I've got lots of distractions <laughs> and I can't hear the buzzers and bells because the TV's uh, on low. Oh, I thought uh, you always listened to it on mute. I see lots of lights of flashing because of all the Christmas lights and uh, I have no sense of smell because COVID. Uh, so yesterday was really wonderful. It was a, it was a great surprise. I'm a big fan of the podcast opening arguments. If you're not familiar with it is it is a legal based podcast where they go into the more legal ramifications of what's happening in politics right now it didn't used to be that it just used to go into legal ramifications of just legal things everywhere but of course this last couple of years have caused that show just to be about the trump administration for the most part 
Right. Uh, but they have very uh, hateful podcast. Which is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they uh, did a fundraiser yesterday. They originally were on uh, cognitive dissonance last week when they did their fundraiser for those two senators, Democratic senators. If you're in Georgia, vote. They were on cognitive dissonance last week. Well, they did their own fundraiser yesterday. And lo and behold, guess who was on their fundraiser? Uh, Ice Cream Social. And it was so wonderful. Uh, I, I literally wasn't expecting it until I was listening to their podcast. They were talking about the upcoming live show and that they have Ice Cream Social coming on. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't miss it. And so uh, it was wonderful to go on there live and uh, watch Matt Donnelly speak and Paul completely fuck up technically. And so you can only see him holding his dog for that half hour. <laughs> Uh, but it, it was wonderful to see those two podcasts that I enjoy so much in, in one place. And then, of course, Scathing Atheist was at the end of that, and they're always fun to watch as well. So uh, so if uh, if you haven't listened to Opening Arguments, it's excellent. And uh, the live show was recorded, so I think you can see it on uh, YouTube, on their YouTube channel, because they do put their podcasts on there as well. So it, it was fun to see ICS, and it's also wonderful to see uh, uh, Ice Cream Social putting their name out there for, for the good of a good social cause. Yeah. They've always kind of tried to shy away from politics in their show, but they, you, you can't help yourself <laughs> sometimes in these days. <laughs> Not lately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they, they realized they had a strong voice and they're going to use it. And, and that's really been nice to see. So uh, kudos ICS. Uh, and it was All great right. to see you on that yesterday. And the final thing is, uh, yeah, my, I'm continuing the clone wars uh, watching. I am nearly done with the second season. I'm happy to report, Andy, that yes, it does get better in the second season. It doesn't get amazing in the second okay. season, but it does get a lot better. Uh, part of it is that they start doing multi-episode arcs. Okay. And it stops. I say it stops, but it turns down the, we're just focusing this on children. It's still, don't get me wrong. It's still very much a kid-friendly cartoon. Uh, but there's a lot more death in the second season than the first. The first season had a lot of death, and so they, did they continue the uh, the more you know stuff in the beginning. Oh yes, that has never stopped. I don't <laughs> think it will stop. It, it's okay. It, but it, but I think I've kind of oversold that as as the whole more you know because literally it is just a fortune cookie of a sentence, and then the episode starts. But that okay. fortune cookie is always what the moral of that story is. Uh, how they could sell this to the network as a thing for kids and education. So and I guess it's a point for my mea culpa that uh, Ahmed Best was only Jar Jar in a couple pieces of that. And somebody else came in and did most of the Jar Jar Binks stuff. And that was something that uh, Major Math pointed out. That it's makes really sense. really bothering you, isn't it? <laughs> no, I just, I want to, I want to, I, 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 if I make a mistake, I, I fess up to it. I made a mistake. I'm fessing up to it. See, good people. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but it is getting better. Uh, although I will say there are uh, a few times in the middle of this season that is dragged a bit. Uh, but when it fires well, it fires really well. Like there's an episode called The Deserter that so far is the best episode of the series thus far. It's about one of the clones discovers another clone by accident that has left the war and has decided to raise a family. And so it's it's a really interesting philosophical dilemma that is in that episode that I would not expect given the caliber of the kid-centric stories that had sold up to that point. So it's getting there. It's not there, 
but it's getting there. I can see that if this growth continues, that by uh, season three and most likely season four, it's going to be firing on all four cylinders and be really, really compelling. Um, it's not there yet, but it is much better. Do you eventually get used to the guy that does Yoda's voice? Because that was when my nephew was watching it. That was one of the things that was very cringeworthy to me was the guy doing Yoda's voice. Much like Jar Jar, there is very little Yoda in this show. Okay. So How it's not a matter you... of getting used to it. You just don't see him all that much. Okay, nearly that's fair. Everybody, nearly everybody can do Yoda. Somebody fucks up Yoda? It's the, I can't give you an exact reason why. But like every time I hear the character on the Clone Wars when my nephew was watching it, I just it was cringy. Like it was like it sounded, I guess, close enough that most kids didn't mind. But, you know, I guess it's just it's one of those like when you I'll give you a perfect example. It's like when you watch the modern iterations of the Muppets, when you know a Frank Oz character and it just isn't quite Frank Oz. I mean, nobody can do the voices just like him. And same thing with like several of the other Muppets. They they're close, but it's not just quite. It's not quite right. Yeah, it's wrong. Like Kermit syndrome, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Why why did they change Kermit's? Because he died. I know. I know. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but they. It, it's funny you mention that though, Andy, because there's like four different uh, people that have done Kermit's voice throughout the run of the modern era of the Muppets. The modern era of the Muppets? Is that like... Well, I, I especially like the current runs with the current movies and so forth. But uh, Brian Henson did it for a little while and then realized that he was a better manager of the estate and the uh, Henson Studios than a puppeteer slash voice actor. So he moved more into that, whereas they brought they brought a different actor in to do Kermit's voice and then... They've had two different actors doing the the Kermit voice in the uh, the newer movies, if I'm not mistaken. It's it's just it's weird. Expected is, I mean, have have you heard Big, Big Bird late, Big Bird lately? It's not yeah, the same. That's true. Why they switch Big Birds? God damn it, Andy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anything else you want to bring up before we continue on, gentlemen? I had a the most fucked up COVID dream ever. I even want to know. Uh, how, 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 <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's a great question, Matt. Is this uh, something we should just continue to ignore that we heard? Yeah, no, okay, you can. No, no, no. What, what's your COVID? Uh, what, what, what is, first so, of all, what is a COVID dream? It's just a weird dream about COVID. I, okay. uh, it was a giant inflatable, like, bounce house thing that was white, and they were going to project a movie on it. But it was also, a, like, a bounce house multi-level labyrinth. And... There was some sort of uh, escape room aspect to it, so you were supposed to interact with the movie by going inside this bounce house thing, and and you know it's COVID time, so it's a terrible place to be. And then like immediately somebody vomited, and I got stuck in part of it, so I was trying to get out through the other side of it. <laughs> and people are wetting themselves. It's just like all this bodily fluid, and I'm stuck in a giant bounce house without a mask. Andy, you need to see a therapist. <laughs> Andy, you just described what it feels like to just be in the room with you. So it, it's this is not unusual. For us. <laughs> so Kermit the Frog. Yeah, good Kermit, the, Kermit the Frog is currently voiced by Matt Vogel, but for a long time it was Steve Whitmire. 
both both names that I don't recognize at all. Exactly. <laughs> Steve Whitemire has done it the done it the most, but uh, I hate to do this to you, Biggs, but great story. Your wow. boos don't matter to me. I know what you cheer for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done, Biggs. Well done. <laughs> Uh, the Geek Shock Book Club is still reading Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me by Mariko Tamaki. And uh, we will be... Uh, it's, yes, it's, yes, Andy? It's, it's Laura Dead. Thank you. Thank you. It is not. It is Laura Dean <laughs> Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Uh, we will be nominating uh, books for the new year very soon. So be watching for that on the Geek Shock Book Club Facebook page. And... Gentlemen, I think we need to get into some news. So if you're ready for that, let's do some news you don't give a shit about. It's the Myrlurkness of it that I really enjoy. It just sounds like he's gargling something is all. Well, he is. I'll let that fester in your imagination. No. Oh, I already went there with that one. (laughs) He's going to gargle mayonnaise? It's just not wow. It's just not wow. the Mexican train Matt wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the gar- it's the it's the Mexican train he deserved. <laughs> yeah. The Mexican yeah, I... <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. Uh, the US Space Force, the new sixth branch of the military, launches a government entity. Uh, the agency not only inspired a HBO comedy, uh, but also chose a Star Trek style logo. Now, the new announcement. Members of the new agency will be known as Guardians. Apparently, it was inspired by the original command motto of the Air Force Space Command in 1983, Guardians of the High Frontier. Uh, But MCU fans couldn't help notice the name Guardians. Uh, Not surprisingly, the U.S. Space Force's announcement got plenty of attention on social media, and James Gunn on Twitter, that the writer and director of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, uh, did not seem very happy, asking, quote, can we sue this dork, unquote. Uh, (laughs) It's doubtful that Gunn is serious about suing, but his sentiment is quite clear. It's, it's, It's news on a, like, okay, roll your eyes, this is still happening example. Yeah. The, the whole the whole creation of the space force was just a a what a what moment. Well, it, it, I think this has to do with our story last week, where we learned that Trump learned there was aliens, so he had to yeah. create a space force. Mm. Oh, brother! So that's that's what it is. Because of that Israeli defense minister, we know that. <laughs> Not only does Trump know about the aliens, but they're they're meeting with us in the basement of Mars somewhere. Yeah, and you know what? I gotta call bullshit on that whole thing because <laughs> if why they, they they don't have they don't have ministers. They have rabbis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I was gonna say if if Trump truly knew about aliens, he would not have shut up about it on Twitter. It had been right. all over Twitter for months. Yeah, there's Well, that. if I can't talk about it, at least could I can I create a a a, a Star Trek force that I can go after him? We won't use the word Star Trek. We'll just we'll just we'll just use the the symbol. <laughs> the work's already done for us. <laughs> <sighs> oh boy. It's goofy. Um uh, I guess is, we had to work is great created by uh Gene Star Trek. 
Gene Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, good, good people up there. I'm sure uh, so... the Klingons. There's many good. Uh, there's many good Klingons on both sides. Uh... <laughs> so I guess we're 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 stuck with this now. Going yeah. forward, we have a we have a space force, but. Somebody give me that gene that give me somebody give me that George Roddenberry guy that created Star Wars. One day we'll we might need one 200 years in the future. So uh, I guess better early than ever. Um, United Earth Space Probe Agency. (laughs) Wow. Honestly, I, I wish we'd just get away from all the military stuff and just create something that's the Thunderbirds. We, we could use a dedicated force like take care of emergencies, you know, tor- tornadoes, this, this, tsunamis. We don't we don't need everybody to have a military force. We need somebody to take care of problems. What? This is the British puppet Thunderbirds, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, they should be people, not, you know, Marianation, but people. You know. well, I'm not I'm not so sure that w- that was true. I think they should be married people. <laughs> yeah, except the South Park guys are never going to work with marionettes again. No, no, that's that's the opposing force. That's who we need for our villains. News you, don't give, news you don't give a shit about. Uh, one of the most anticipated video games of the year, Cyberpunk 2077, may go down in history as one of the worst botched releases since Aliens Colonial Marines. Uh, the game has been removed from the PlayStation Store now, with refunds offered to those who bought it digitally. Uh, Xbox still has it available on their digital store, but with a warning of the broken state of the game. Uh, but they are also offering refunds as well. Uh, many box stores, like Best Buy, are accepting returns for the games, too. Uh, one of the biggest missteps was that the game was intentionally mismarketed. Reviewers only had access to Cyberpunk 2077 on PC with strong GPUs and were told that a day one patch would fix a majority of the minor bugs that they experienced, unquote. Uh, Critics were only given review keys for the PS4 and Xbox One versions one day before the game was released. Hmm. Once the game was released, it became apparent that it was an unfinished game that was pushed out the door by the heads at CG Project Red. Uh, CG Project ha- Project has stated that there will be a patch next week, followed by more substantial updates in January and February, at which Cyberpunk 2077 should be in proper working order, hopefully. Uh, it was genuinely deceptive to allow people to buy this game. Uh, broken games can be fixed, but broken trust is harder to restore. Uh, To date, CD Projekt's stock has fallen nearly 30% since the game's release just over a week ago, resulting in the loss of more than $1 billion for the company's founders alone. Companies. Or founders. Right. And and that's, that's what this all comes down on, is that the people in charge said, we need to get this game out hella high water. We don't care what state it is in. And then we are not going to allow people to see it early so they won't know what state it's in when they buy it. Gross. Uh, the, the whole story behind it is just disgusting. I said they uh, there was reports that have come out since the game was released that there was nearly three months of crunch trying to get the game out in an unrealistic timeline. Um, people that weren't on the actual development side, but that were doing like the uh, the mocap stuff, were were taking 
you know, were too taken with hanging out with Keanu Reeves to to really get their stuff done in a timely fashion. I mean, it's ridiculous, the stuff that went on with this game. And then I don't know if anybody's seen any of the YouTube videos, but it is incredible how broken this game is. Like, I'm I'm I am astounded that this thing got released at all. It's just it's horrible. Version, if you have a PS5 or the uh, new Xbox One X and you buy this game, you don't have the the next-gen version. You have the PS4 slash Xbox One version. That's the only thing that's been released thus far. So it's, I understand that the frame rates, of course, are better on those systems than they are on the earlier gen. Yeah, better processing power. But it doesn't fix, one, all the massive amount of bugs. I mean, I enjoy looking at bugs. Open-world games, every time they release, yeah, they, they there's bugs everywhere. Bethesda games are known for it. Rockstar games are known for it. You get an amazing video that people post on the internet of all the amazing glitches. But this game is Super Glitch Fest 5000. Yeah. There's amusing glitches, but then there's ones that break the game entirely and erase your saves. It's really mm. massively horrible uh, for a game to come out in this state. And and it's sad because CJ, uh, CD Projekt Red made a great game in Witcher 3, uh, one of the best games to come out this last generation. In releasing this game in this state, they have completely erased all the goodwill that they earned with that game. Did you say Witcher? <laughs> I'm going to have to go I'll back and read the articles again to find out. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, toss a coin to your Witcher. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, I want to... the rest of the show to be just Matt singing the Witcher theme. That's all, that's all I want. I'm going to have to go back through, but I think they dismissed a lot of the staff after the release, and now they're scrambling to figure out how they're going to get these patches out to fix the game. No, uh, no, I don't believe they did. I, I, uh, I think that's a different uh, company. Okay. If that one, I don't think they've released any of the CG project red staff. Although there is a lot of disgruntled staff speaking out about it. There's no doubt about that. Nearly three months of crunch trying to get it out. I mean, that's, you know, you're 50, 60 hour weeks. That's ridiculous. It is, but that's also what every major game goes through. Not not excusing it, question. but it's not like this is that is different for this game compared to everybody else. Well, I think what makes this one is that the length of the crunch was a bit longer than you typically get with a, a high-profile game like this. Like, it's not unheard of to have six to eight weeks of crunch, but to have three months and you know, could be possibly more, a lot of the story is still coming out, but... That's a lot of crunch time, that, which meant that there was poor planning for the beginning of it. I, I want to ask, I mean, seriously, we hear this. We hear this every quarter. I mean, are the video game developers ever going to learn to not release, to, to not let marketing decide when a game gets released? Because this is, this is just, this always happens. It's crazy. And this sounds like, the epitome of 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 the of uh, you know the arrogance almost of yeah we'll we'll release it glitchy because they'll buy it anyway then we'll patch it and and they they really really overestimated or underestimated how how bad it was going to be but 
it, it just sounds like another example, the most egregious example of marketing determining when something's getting released and they fight to get there uh, and they do it whether they're ready or not. I think they're hoping on two things. One, the uh, short memory span of <laughs> the ga- of gamers in general. <laughs> and and two, I, I think they're going, listen, if it goes in this state, don't worry, we'll fix it. And once it, they fix it, the game will be so good that they'll forget. And they're kind of not wrong on that potential because if a game does get fixed down the line, gamers get very forgiving. Uh, two examples of that is one game that that I love, and that's uh, the No Man's Sky. Yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't a broken game when it was released, but it certainly was a overpromise, underdeliver mm-hmm. on it. Now they have since then delivered it, but the game's been out what two, three years at, at least. this point, and so and it's taken them this long to deliver on what they promised. That's a long way to wait, but now the game is pretty much what they said it was going to be. And then you have a uh, Fallout 76, which when it got released was frankly a, a boring, uninteresting mess, uh, full of bugs and full of uninteresting content. Uh, they have since patched up that game. They have since added a lot more content and the people who are playing that game uh, say it's so much better now. Uh, so much so that I started playing it again this week just to see if it is better. And it is. It is better. It, it does not feel as empty. I don't think it's still a great Fallout game so far, but it's a much better game than it was. Is that a thing? When You just said that. They announced that, you know, they put out more patches. It's better, and people try it, and you said you tried it. Is that is that like a a habitual type of thing for you yourself, Todd? It's like, oh, they said that this has got better patches out and it's out now, I'm going to give it a try. Is that like a a routine type of thing? Uh, I think for some it is, depending. One, I'm trying again because one, I love Fallout. I love the series in general. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely wanted it to be better. It still feels very MMO to me, which is what I don't like, so it probably won't last long. Can I speak for all other gamers? I don't know, but part of the aspect is that I have Gamefly, so it it doesn't cost me that much to do it because that's part of my subscription. But some of it is the fact that these people bought this game to begin with. What are they going to do? Leave it on the shelf when they hear all these reports that it's better and just not pull it down again, even though they've already spent the money? So I I think it's also, you know, chasing after what you've already paid for, too. Yeah, and and also, Kirsten, um, basically what it comes down to is, you know, they say the market determines whether a game is successful or not. And gamers have a very short memory when it does come to glitches like this, like to, like Todd was saying. And basically, as, as long as they get their game, they don't care what controversies the com- companies are going through. They don't care about any of the other stuff that would normally kill a game if it were more public as long as they get their game. And unfortunately, that's part of the reason why we keep getting, you know, stuff like this This is why we have programmers have no representation. So they have no protections against crunch and poor planning and having to get a game out at an unreasonable amount of time. So, and it's, it's not going to change unless people 
read about these companies, see what they are doing, see what they're doing to their programmers, and just stop buying product from them. It's yeah, otherwise it's, it's just going to keep coming. And those yeah. two examples that we talked about, Fallout seventy six and No Man's Sky, uh, are the outliers. Yeah, uh, most of the games that go through this, they don't come back from this. Uh, for example, Alien Colonial Marines. They they the demo that they showed was not the game that was delivered, and well, it was egregious to nearly this level. And also another game out there that that did not come back from it is Anthem. It's a live service game that came out two years ago that they're still supposedly adding patches to it to make it that much better to bring back the fan base because games like those they make their money on aftermarket content now todd to to be fair to no man's sky that's a much smaller studio right than Uh, than these other ones yeah but it's still distributed under sony itself so it's sony's money behind it oh okay so it's Hello Games is not a big studio, but it is Sony's game. Mm. Uh, now this, of course, is a little different in this because this game is a large, sprawling open-world RPG, a whole different creature than these other ones because this game is not a live-service game. This this is more along the lines as if uh, they released Red Dead Redemption, and then Red Dead Redemption was unplayable. Right. Mm. Something more mm-hmm. along those lines. As opposed so, to just having a spot where horses catch on fire. And again, those are small glitches compared to this. It's, it's one thing to say, oh, isn't that funny that uh, that person flew off because the game put a person over a bird map and the person flew off into the sky. Uh, that's, that's fun, interesting, goofy glitches. We can live with those. Uh, but if the game is crashing and then you find out that your save file that you've played for 20 hours on is gone and yeah. all of them are gone... That that breaks it entirely for anybody. I watched a streamer. Uh, he loaded up the game. Granted, he's on PS4, so there's that. But anyways, um, so the opening scene, you're coming through like a open air subway into the city, and it exits the tunnel. You see this beautiful sunlight, and your character walks over to the window, like look and check his surroundings, and it's like it looks like 80s programming or Jurassic <laughs> Park, where they're going through the system, like the blocks. <laughs> Like the block, and then, and then it just goes blue screen, some code, and like PS4 is crashed. Cannot handle graphics like that, yada yada. He's like, "Wow, awesome!" <laughs> just, uh, just wow, awesome. That's what he said. I was, I just started yeah. laughing. I'm like, <laughs> the the game seems to be too too strong as it's programmed now for the earlier gen systems, which is an odd thing because they haven't released a next gen version of this yet. Yeah, so, that, that was the thing that threw me when I read that article. I'm like, so the system that it's developed to play on is unable to play it. Wow. <laughs> never, I can't say never, but in most cases of the games that we had thus far, nobody has taken the game off of the store like PlayStation. Just you cannot buy it until they fix the game. And then once they fix the game, <laughs> it'll be available to buy again. Mm. That's, that's how bad it's broken. Nobody's done that. CD Projekt Red, fix your shit. Intern- <laughs> internally. Uh, fix your game first, and then fix your internal shit. And the, and the rest of uh, game development, please, take note of what's happening now. Star Citizen could take a few pointers from this. What has happened? Is that game released even yet? No, it's still under... <laughs> it's still in beta. 
and what's that uh, like 10 years now Something yeah they, they've, they've brought in multi-millions of dollars and continue to bring in multi-millions of dollars and have yet to deliver a game good job guys fuck kickstarter video games all right <laughs> news you don't give a shit about According to the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America Association, Star Wars novelists have been shut off from royalties, as have fellow novelists for 20th Century Fox's library, which include books set in the worlds of Alien and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, among others. One such novelist is one you probably know, Alan Dean Foster, who wrote the original novelization of Star Wars A New Hope and has penned countless Star Wars novelizations since. In his original... Including the first um, Star Wars, you know, non-book, non-movie one. Uh, you're talking Splinter of the Mind's Eye, yes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and his and he wrote the all the novelizations of the Alien movies. I think all of them, if my memory serves. Uh, so yeah, he's written a lot of stuff for Fox back in that day. In his original contract with George Lucas in the 1970s, Foster was paid $7,500 upfront with a 0.5% royalty on sales that have since earned him that original fee several times over. He only discovered the lack of royalty checks after the Disney-Fox merger in 2019, when he abruptly stopped receiving royalties for the three alien novels that he penned. His lawyer contacted Disney, where he was told that while the company acquired the rights to the books, they were not beholden to any royalties. Quote, Disney has acquired a house with a mortgage on it, and they want to keep living in that house, but they don't want to pay the mortgage, Foster said. Donald Glutt, who novelized The Empire Strikes Back, and James Caan, who wrote the book for Return of the Jedi, have both claimed there are two missing royalty checks as well. In an open letter to Disney, Foster wrote, All these books are still very much in print. They still earn money. For you. When one company buys another, they acquire its liabilities as well as its assets. You're certainly reaping the benefits of the assets. I'd very much like my minuscule, though it's not small to me, share, unquote. The Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America Association is raising awareness on the issue with the hashtag Disney Must Pay. SFWA's president, Mary Robinette Cowell, released a statement saying, In my decade with the organization, the fact that we are forced to present this publicly is unprecedented. So, too, are the problems. The simple problem is that we have a writer who is not being paid. The larger problem has the potential to affect every writer. Disney's argument is that they have purchased the rights, but not the obligations of the contract. In other words, they believe they have the rights to to publish work and are not obliged to pay the writer no matter what the contract says. If we let this stand, if we let this stand, it could set precedent to fundamentally alter the way copyright and contracts operate in the United States. All a publisher would have to do to break a contract would be to sell it to a sibling company, unquote. Right. Disney, Disney released their own statement saying, quote, We are carefully reviewing whether any royalty payments may have been missed as a result of acquisition integration and will take appropriate remedial steps if that is the case. Unquote. Is that supposed to be Fry? Never fucking you mind. God damn it. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Jesus. So, yeah, this is a new development. I can't speak to the original contract that he signed, but I know a lot of newer contracts have specific wording in them 
that says that if the company that the original contract is signed with is acquired by another company, that that new company also has to uh, take on all of the you know responsibilities of that contract. So I'm kind of surprised. Actually, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised at Disney trying to, if, if they are actually actively trying to avoid paying this, it could just be a mistake. Um, I'd like to believe that it's a mistake, but at the same time, Disney is a mega corporation that's still beholden to shareholders. So I'm a little cynical about that aspect. So, <laughs> Well, if they don't fix it, this is going to end up in the courts. And yeah. frankly, I can't see a way that the courts don't err on the side of the writers. Yeah, I, right. I mean, yeah, those contracts, especially contract law, uh, court hearings, they typically go for the, the person that, you know, has the contract and can say, hey, they owe me money. And they say, well, why, do you, why are you not paying? It's like, well, we didn't think we had to pay them because we bought this other company. I'm like, no, you still do. Case dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because they're right. If the judges find in defense of Disney, that changes contract law in this country completely. Yeah, yeah, you're talking. You'd be talking. Uh, it would change hundreds of years worth of contracts, just because you know Disney, if they truly are saying that they don't owe them the money, is trying to buck that trend that has been established over centuries. Companies pay your writers and readers pay for your books. Weekend yep. geek, yay! yay! Woo! Disney Plus announced Marvel Studios Legends, another new series that spotlights different characters found within the MCU. Since WandaVision is set to kick off Phase 4 in early 2021, the first two episodes of Legends, debuting Friday, January 8th, are centered on Wanda Maximoff's Last Scarlet Witch and Vision. The new project will visit or and revisit iconic moments from across the films while taking a deep dive, quote, into the stories of the MCU's most compelling characters, unquote. Legends is going to serve as a digital archive that can help less Marvel indoctrinated viewers make sense of the on-screen comic world. And I think this is a smart plan. Like, There's already a bunch of these on YouTube, right? Who is the Vision? Who is... Scarlet Witch and gives you a full comic book history of their character and oh. over time. Okay. So nice. I think Disney doing this is is a good idea. One, they own the footage so they can you know, show all they want uh, without having a copyright strike. Uh, speaking of copyright strikes, I don't know if you uh, saw, but we talked last week that, about the uh, bill that's uh, going that's being voted on in the uh, Senate. Yes. Well, what do those fucking idiots do? Uh, looks like that bill is in the omnibus spending bill that they are about to vote on. So it looks like uh, it, the copyright strike becoming a felony is going to be taking place. Oh, oh great. God. Because it's in a massive omnibus spending bill that no one's read. <sighs> so, it, so it never got pulled out. So There's too much pressure to get this bill passed. There's probably a whole bunch of stuff that got snuck in. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, although I will say I am happy that there is, is some relief for uh, theaters and independent movie theaters as well, like performance yeah. art spaces. So there's like $15 billion set aside for just that or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, Isn't this like a 900-page spending bill, something like that? Ridiculous. 
Yeah. Also, uh, you can run off your three martini lunches and yes, uh, and your yachts. So. Yes, you can. So the Republicans got what they want to to give a get, to give a pittance to yep. the working man, and the rest of us get six hundred bucks. Yay! Woo-hoo! So long as Mackenzie Scott keeps giving out money. Uh, say, I have a little uh, Mandalorian-related news, but the news itself is a spoiler. So uh, I, I can't, we can't really even do this news story until we hit spoiler time. So those hanging around during the spoiler talk in a little bit, we'll kick it off with that news. <laughs> so you get a little <laughs> extra news for that one. Uh, but things are shifting in the pages of DC Comics. The Dark Knight's death metal event is set to conclude its multiverse-altering storytelling on January 5th. And it'll be followed by Future States. That's two months of stories set in DC's many possible futures. After DC has launched readers into these possible futures and introduced us to new characters and new versions of old characters, where does it go from there? Well, the publisher announced that it will lead off its March 2021 publishing with DC Infinite Frontier number zero, a 64-page one-shot described as the entry point to the next phase of the DC Universe. Uh, Joshua Williamson, who just wrapped up his run on The Flash, will serve as one of the lead writers within Infinite Frontier, alongside Scott Snyder, James Tyrant, uh, Tinian IV, Brian Michael Bendis, Philip Kennedy Johnson, Jeff Johns, and the team of Becky Cloonan and uh, Michael W. Conrad. Among the highlights, a massive attack that sets the stage for an international manhunt in the new Joker series, a new Stargirl story written by her co-creator, Jeff Johns, uh, Bendis and Marquez launching a new era of the Justice League, Cloonan and Conrad steering Wonder Woman into something known as the God Sphere, and a new group of young heroes meeting the original new Teen Titans in the upcoming Teen Titans Academy series. So. Uh, this issue releases on March 2nd, 2021, so if you want to get on the ground floor of the next part of the DC Universe, that's where it begins. There's also new writers uh, replacing Brian Michael Bendis on uh, uh, Action and Superman. And they've oh, already wow. said that they're going to let what Bendis established stand, but they're going to you know, focus more on other things. But it's not a reboot, it's just a, a redirection. There we go. <laughs> uh, well, this week we lost quite a few people. It, it, mm. It's it's it gotten downright depressing this week with that. So uh, let's uh, let's honor those that we've lost. Uh, veteran Ho- just getting it out of its system, dude. Jesus. Uh, veteran Hollywood producer David Giller has died at the age of seventy-seven. Giller co-founded Brandywine Productions in the early nineteen sixties. Company's been involved with every Alien project to date, including the 79 original directed by Ridley Scott, all the way up to Scott's Alien Covenant in 2017. Giller began his Hollywood career as a script writer for TV shows such as The Girl from Uncle and The Man from Uncle, all the uncles. Uh, while he'd be forever associated with the Alien series after 1979, Giller also served as a pro- as a producer on Tales from the Crypt, Perversions of Science, and 2002's ritual uh, we also lost doug crane he died at the age of 85 crane was an animator for terry tunes hannah barbera mtv's beavis and butthead filmation Aurelio films xander animation parlor as well as a former professor of animation at sva uh, at the request of bill hannah crane and red augustin opened and operated the hannah barbera east studios in new york city 
Crane went on to create, to animate films, television series, commercials, theatrical releases, and half-hour specials, draw comic strips, books, and digests. We also lost Peter Lamont, accomplished production designer and art director, died at the age of 91. He worked on Aliens as well, where he was nominated for an Oscar for his set decoration work. He also served on every James Bond film from Goldfinger mm-hmm. on forward until he stopped after Casino Royale. Wow. He won an Oscar, right? He, also, he won an Oscar for Titanic for his art direction. His son is also a set and art director serving alongside his father before he went on his own uh, working on the Harry Potter films as well as The Force Awakens, Rogue One, and Solo. And, of course, this week we also lost Jeremy Bullock. Uh, English actor who physically played galactic bounty hunter Boba Fett in the original Star Wars trilogy. He's died at the age of 75. Uh, Similar to what David Prowse did with Darth Vader, Bullock only provided the character's movements before dialogue was later dubbed over. The late Jason Wintergreen and Tamara Morrison, uh, that's the actor and voice for all the clone troopers, following the release of the prequel trilogy. Uh, Bullock began acting from a young age, by the time he was cast in The Empire Strikes Back in 1980, he'd already had more than two decades of professional experience under his belt, including seven episodes of Doctor Who. 22 years after starring in Episode 6, Bullock returned to the Star Wars universe to make a cameo in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. That's wow. who we lost. What a week for him to pass, too. Right. I do like the fact that you actually, unlike the uh, Oscars uh, remembrances, I mean, you actually cover the people that uh, were not huge, big names, but did make the movies and made the stuff we love. Yeah, and, that, and that's what this is all about. These are the people that, that get missed, that deserve the honor for how they've influenced our childhood and adulthoods. I've always felt that like set decoration and set design were were two of the really unheralded positions on a film because it really does set the tone for how the film is going to be received and and how the actors give their performances and you know how the camera is going to pick up you know the action going forward it's such yeah. a crucial component yeah if you listen to the west wing weekly podcast and uh, the good place the podcast the actors on both of those and the directors say that the set decorating crews on both those shows were just like, if you're an actor and you feel the need to pick something up, it won't just be like a, you know, a page with, you know, this is like gibberish on it. They'll actually write whatever the letter is supposed to be or whatever the thing is that you picked up and mm-hmm. nobody's going to see it except us. <laughs> and, and I just thought that was really interesting that when they come up with a, 600 page bill you know not every page is going to be different but they'll actually write like some laws in it whatever the episode has to be about and somebody just sits in typewriter starts you know typing in so they're probably cutting and pasting from other bills or that type of thing that sure. actually made it to law but they said it's not just gibberish it's not just you know nonsense it, you could actually read it something about trump then it is gibberish but well yeah <laughs> but like oh for instance on the good place the novel that what's his name writes in the fourth season there's actually a novel in that book <laughs> wow wow somebody actually wrote this complete like what all the excerpts that they read about it uh would would lead you to believe the novel is that novel is actually written wow <laughs> wow 
you know, every now and then, and I'm, you know, just, just once every few years, I just stop and appreciate whoever had to take the time to write out all the all work and no play makes a Jack a dull boy in the shining. Yeah. And all the time that must've taken. That's all those computers too. That's not a matter of us copy and pasting the phrase a million times. Exactly. That, that is, that was somebody's job and they did it well. Yeah. That was an intern who gave up on Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you leave? You know what my job was? All work and no play make Jack a dull boy for 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier this year, Marvel Comics announced that they'd secured the rights to the Alien and Predator franchises and would be bringing new stories from those universe to us in 2021. Like Star Wars, the Alien license shifted to Marvel after years of stories at Dark Horse Comics. The publisher announced that March will bring the launch of Alien Number 1, the beginning of a new series by writer Philip Kennedy Johnson, who wrote The Last God and Empire Captain America, and artist Salvador LaCora, who who, uh, uh, did the images for Doctor Doom and Darth Vader. Uh, that will take us to a, quote, never-seen-before corners of the alien mythos and introduce, quote, a deadly new breed of xenomorph, unquote, through the eyes of the Whalen yutani mercenary. Uh, details beyond this are slim, but for those who have been waiting for Marvel to pull the trigger on some alien comics, here they come. I'm just waiting for the time, and they eventually will, when, when they stick it in the Marvel Universe somewhere. <laughs> Didn't they already you, do you, that? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking of no, no, no. You know what I'm thinking of is um, X Men had a whole sequence where they were in space. When they got back to Earth, that's how Lockheed Lockheed ended up in the uh, on Earth. But um, the first issue with Lockheed in it was essentially an alien ripoff. There were a bunch of alien xenomorph types running around in the basement of the X Mansion. They're called the Angari, and they're like demons. And uh, John Byrne and Chris Claremont did a couple of movie riffs. The whole X-Men sub, shall we call it sub saga of Days of Future Past was essentially a Terminator riff when they did right. that two-issue series. And then the one you're talking about, Andy, is one demon of the Angari actually infiltrates the mansion and Kitty Pride has to face it off all by herself. And this is like 16-year-old teenage girl Kitty Pride, or maybe even 14. She was, she's a kid. And it, yeah. it, and, and it was funny because they, they took it right to the end. Uh, I mean, she, she killed that demon exactly the same way Ripley got the, the alien in the first movie. It was kind of fun. Uh, you guys, I, got, I do have to go uh, uh, pick up the uh, actual ex-wife from the airport. <laughs> But I, I did want to leave you. There was a, a DC Dark Horse uh, Superman versus Aliens. Yes, there was. Yes. Yeah. But not Marvel. No. And very cool, but, too, because apparently they impregnated Kryptonians. So, like, they could <laughs> hurt Superman. Yeah. 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 It was, really? it was fun. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I got to go. Mandalorian was great. Be sure to watch the uh, post credit sequence. There's a post credit sequence? That's what I did. <laughs> Thank you for joining uh, us, Steve. Yep. We'll see y'all soon. Roger, Roger. Bye. Director M. Night Shyamalan has begun production of his latest film titled Old. Movie, movie's called Old. 
The upcoming beach set thriller is inspired by the French graphic novel Sandcastle by Pierre-Oscar Levy and artist Frederick Peters. The story follows a group of people who find a dead body on the beach, which leads them to discover that something strange is happening there. I wonder what their first clue was. As they're unable to leave the location, and that it has to do with a dark and secret involving time itself. Uh, the graphic novel draws on existential horror themes. So, uh, Shyamalan doing his thing again. Shyamalan ding dong. The twist is he's really young, Neil uh, Young. I really enjoy his work. I enjoy it because he, it doesn't always work, but damned if he doesn't give 100% trying to. He's very oh, I, committed I, to his ideas. Yes. I, I'm one of the few people that like Lady in the Pool or, you know, Lady in the... Lady in the Water. There you go. I have not seen the, the plant one. I understand that's probably the, the worst of his oeuvre, if you will. It's the trees. Why are they trying to kill us? Why say do you hi to your mother for me. Don't say that, Todd. Why are you saying that? Why? Because it might set Jeff off like that? <laughs> no, because we're doing Mark Wahlberg. Oh, right, right. Oh, you know what? Just keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing more and more to read. I thought it was <laughs> Mickey Mouse. I thought it was Mickey Mouse. Why is Andy on here? Why do we keep he's, him? He's, he's bringing the funny, Kay. Let him do his work. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot. It's easy to forget. Nah. Boy, is it it's, easy. It's subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Subtlety is not one of your virtues, Andy. <laughs> or should I say not one of your features? <laughs> it's not a glitch. It's, it's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> Shyamalan may occasionally fail, but he does it with gusto. And, and that's, that's what true. I appreciate. That I, I, even if it doesn't work, it's going to be something that's probably going to be very interesting, even if it doesn't work. So yep. I'm, I'm, I'm down for uh, Old. I hope they change the title, though. Old's kind of a weird name. I don't know. It's very Shyamalan. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it might and just be I... a temporary title, too. So. Don't it worry, don't worry, God. They'll, they'll dress it up with font. Oh, yes, you're right. They will. And finally, David Heyman, the pro producer behind the Harry Potter films, has acquired the television rights to Peter McLean's Priest of Bones fantasy crime novel. The book is described as Peaky Blinders with Swords and follows Army Priest Thomas Piety. After returning home from a war alongside Sergeant Bloody Anne, Tomas discovers that his criminal empire has been stolen forming a new gang, the Pious Men, with Bloody Anne and his, and his brother, Johan. The priest plunges into a world of political intrigue, brothels, and backstreet taverns in an effort to reclaim what is his. A sequel to the book, Priest of Lies, was published last summer. Two more installments, Priest of Gallows and Priest of Crowns, are scheduled to be released in 2021 and 22, respectively. So expect a Priest of Bones to come to a theater near you. I'll yeah, take yeah. swords for 400, Alex. You had me at Peaky Blinders with the uh, swords. Right. And that is all the news that we're going to cover because now is the time that we are going to talk about Mandalorian Season 2 in its dun, entirety dun, dun, with spoilers. Dun, 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 so, if you dun, have dun, not dun. seen it and do not want to be spoiled, this is the end of the podcast for you. 
until you watch it and can rejoin us at this moment. Uh, but for those who have seen it or don't mind being spoiled, please continue with us as, uh, as we discuss. So, gentlemen, we just saw the ending of Mandalorian Season 2 this week. But the, the massive ending that that show was. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead, guys. Uh, how do you feel about Luke joining in? I will tell you that the the thing I wanted to happen least, and that was to tie it back into the Skywalker shit, and then <laughs> and then it happened. I'm like, nope, I'm good with it. This it wasn't season was a shock for me because when he's sitting there fighting the dark troopers, I saw the glove and the green saber. I'm like, oh, it's fucking Luke. Oh, well, from the moment I, he walked in, but still, yeah. up up till that point, I, I should I should have expected it, but I didn't. The moment they said a single a single X-wing, I'm like, it has to be Luke. I I will say this season has been really good at keeping spoilers under wraps because we had Katie Sackoff playing Bo-Katan that was kept under wraps all the way through until the episode where she actually takes her helmet off. Mark Hamill reprising the voice side of the role of Luke Skywalker they kept that under wraps for nearly a year. That's it's just incredible what they've been doing with this this season so far, but. The whole season, I, I, I love the story being driven forward so well. You had, oh, I'm totally blanking out on her name, the Ahsoka Tana. Um, she's getting her series, but to see her played as a live character was fantastic. The bond between Din Djarin and the child, who we now know is Grogu, that, that relationship growing. Uh, I just can't say enough good things about this season. The post-credit scene you missed, Matt, was the entire. Oh, hold, 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 you know what? Let's let's go ahead and do that little piece of news. Okay. Uh, so this is the news that we skipped to the end because it is spoilery. Season two of The Mandalorian ended with a stinger that set the stage for a Boba Fett series coming next December. Uh, his debt to Din Djarin now fulfilled. Boba returns to Jabba's palace on Tatooine, where Bib Fortuna has taken control of the late Hutt's criminal enterprise. Fett and Fennec Shand murder everyone in the palace, save for the Twilight Girl, and assume the throne, ready to start a little empire of their own. The show will see Tamara Morrison and Ming-Na Wen reprise their roles, and Jon Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Robert Rodriguez as executive producers. It will come to Disney Plus in December 2021, and little else is known about the project. Uh, Disney considered a Boba Fett movie for a while, which had Josh Trank and James Mangold to direct at certain points. And the TV show is going to be called The Book of Boba Fett. And it's one of several Lucasfilm projects coming to Disney Plus in the coming years. So please, Andy, absolutely talk about that ending. Oh, I was just going to say, when he sat down in, in my head, I heard, in time, he became king by his own hand. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I wonder with that, though, because uh, The Mandalorian more or less came out of the fact that they canceled the Boba Fett movie. I mean, it's not story-wise directly related to that, but they were able to get the series. But I said, well, what if we just do a series? We'll do these short episodes. And it took off and became this hit. And now I'm wondering if they're going to bring some of those story elements that they wanted to do with the original movie into the book of Boba Fett. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I don't know if that makes... I mean, they may have set up too much with the mandalorian to go back to those elements it's possible but nobody really knows publicly what the storyline for the movie was going to be so yeah. there might be things that were 
in that that they could bring to that. I mean, shoot, there were things that they didn't get they didn't get to do in both Clone Wars and Rebels that got uh, brought into Mandalorian. So it's not like they just throw away these story ideas. They kind of keep them around, let them simmer, see if they're usable. Right, but the Mandalorian um, really changed the way we look at Boba Fett. He's definitely seen more as a troubled hero than the villain we've seen him as before this or the <laughs> what, we, what do you mean we haven't seen jack shit about boba fett we don't know anything about boba fett right but we assumed because he's he's the one chasing the good guys in the uh movies that he's a bad guy but now we kind of see him differently i don't know last time i saw him it looked like he was about to start a criminal empire so uh we shall see well yeah that's true also when luke showed up i was like oh now i understand the timeline Man, the uh, Sarlacc fucked up Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> I, I'm sure it's a combination of his age and having been in the Sarlacc for who knows how long. Less than a few, I mean, a couple years. I mean, that looks like Luke in Return of the Jedi. I, I still don't know. How, how long is this after Return of the Jedi? Three years, ten years? I'm not sure. Uh, five years, I believe, after the, okay. the, the destruction of the second Death Star. Can we talk a little bit about Pedro Pascal's performances in the last two episodes with the Absolutely helmet off? Absolutely not. Let's go back to Boba Fett. Um, no, <laughs> please. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. I go mean, ahead. that last episode, it's interesting the kind of duality of the character, whereas, you know, when he's in the armor, he's confident, he's powerful, and, you know, nothing bothers him. But in that last episode, or the episode before the final, when he had to take his helmet off to use the uh, the terminal and then was having to interact with other people, it was almost as if metaphorically his armor had been stripped off. Like, you know, he seemed uncertain. He was kind of not sure how to talk to this guy. It was, it was almost as if the armor was more than just there for his physical protection. It was there for his mental protection. In the final episode where he pulls that that helmet off so he can show Grogu his face. The performance with, with no words was just hitting me right in the heart. It was just, I mean, the guy does an amazing job anyway, but those last two episodes, I think just really set it over the top for me with him. I, he's just fantastic. Well, and you, I mean, yes, I mean, and then you talk about the armor in that second to last episode, he's removes his armor to do the, 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 uh, the truck run and he's fighting without his he's fighting without his armor you can see in the beginning of that he's adjusting his fighting style because he's used to just shrugging off blows and he's like oh these are actually gonna hurt me yeah when he does the arm deflection and the armor cracks and breaks away and he suddenly realizes this is not my metal armor this is stormtrooper armor and then had to just what you said adjust his fighting style yeah of all the amazing things that happened this season, and let's face it, it was like every episode, it was a, a fanboy surprise yeah, in I, one way or another. That episode with Bill Burr, I think, was my favorite of the entire one. Even with that final episode, which was amazing, even right. with the reveals and the oh my gods and that emotional ending, as far as just a, like a standalone episode, that one with Bill Burr was phenomenally done. Well, yeah, even I, Bill Burr's performance was... You know. That's why I meant Bill Burr. Bill Barr, I don't think, had anything to do with it. Right. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, that Bill Burr, I do not think of as an actor. Now I kind of think of him as an actor. 
Well, I'd always thought of him as just a stand-up comedian. That's, I mean, because right. that's all I'd ever seen him in. But when he starts talking about, I forget what the the thing is called, where it was essentially the fallout from the emperor dying, and you know mm-hmm. they were trying to essentially torch the remainder of the empire so that the rebellion wouldn't have anything they could take over, and he lost all of his squad, and he's reciting that story to that imperial and. You're just seeing like the pain and the ache of having to listen to the screams of his fellow troopers. And you could definitely, he was definitely portraying how it affected him. And you started to understand, oh, this is why he's done the things he has. He's that, that tortured soul criminal that doesn't see any other way versus somebody that's just out there doing crime for the crime's sake. Yeah, and that guy was not reading in the room at all. He, he thought he was praising him for blowing up all the people. Yeah. Uh, but going back to Luke Skywalker coming in at the end, uh, there, there's a lot of people that absolutely love it. There's a lot of people that hate it for whatever reason. Uh, some of it has to do with what you said, Andy, is like, damn it, we, we keep coming back to these same people. Movie Bob had a nice little Twitter quote that I think really kind of sums up not only that, but all of kind of the reaction to Star Wars as of late. It was like, you can't be surprised when Ronald McDonald shows up when you order the damn Happy Meal. So it's, <laughs> yeah, that really kind of, yeah, really, really summed it up really well. I was both pleasantly surprised and also a, a bit horrified with the, uh, the face mapping that they did with, uh, with the, with the Luke at the end with it, you know, face mapping the younger, uh, Mark Hamill onto his face and, it's like there were a couple scenes where it was pretty good, and then a couple it was just really truly lacking. And I think because they've established such a high bar with the effects, both practical and digital, in this series, that getting to that was quite the shocker because it felt like they could do no wrong with the digital effects, and then that happened. Well, it's a technology that's better than it was. I mean, that sure. version was frankly, better than the Leia in, in uh, Rogue One. But it's still not there yet. It's, it's, a, it's a growing technology. I mean, don't get me wrong. With the deep fake stuff, we're getting there. But yeah, it's, it's not there yet. Yeah, I was just saying, I, I just meant like, because I've seen better deep fake stuff on YouTube where they face map a younger actor's face on like the older version or vice versa. And it looks better than that did. Somebody cut together... The uh, sequence where Darth Vader comes through and is cutting down, and it, recent the recent one where, where where Darth Vader opens up a door and just starts waving, you know, wading through a bunch of uh, Rogue, Rogue One. Rogue One, yes. Uh, somebody sync that up with Luke coming through and cutting down the robots and are doing the same moves. Uh-huh. Oh, that's phenomenal! That is one amazing thing with this show is how they have done those little things that we're not even aware of yet. And then yep. the, the people that are really deep into Star Wars, that, that live and breathe it, find it, and let us the rest of us know how much they they put into it to yeah. make things yeah. like that happen. There's a lot of Easter eggs that I've missed. And, you know, it's not till you watch the breakdowns on YouTube or whatever. You're like, oh, I totally missed that. Oh, jumping back to Bill Burr. It occurs to me now. I, I enjoyed him so much. I, I'd kind of like to see him show up in the Boba Fett show. That would kind of make sense. Well, it's all kind of on the table, isn't it? We got yeah. the Boba Fett show. We got the Mandalorian. We got the New Republic show. And we have the uh, Ahsoka Tano show. And these are all taking place in the same timeline. 
Right, but Bill Burr's character makes a lot more sense and as as one of Boba Fett's guys. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we will be seeing more of him. Yeah. <laughs> it only makes sense. with yeah. They've used him twice thus far, and uh, people really like his character so far that I've seen. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're doing the MCU thing with it. This is the MCU Star Wars on Disney+. Plus. What had occurred to me uh, just now as I was thinking back to the Luke coming in in the hood and taking out all of those death troopers. They recreated the Luke style that, you know, kind of was established in Return of the Jedi, that kind of slow, methodical taking out these characters and then using the force uh, here and there, as opposed to like some of the, the later Jedi that we've seen, or I should say earlier, where it's a much quicker, much faster, you know, slice slash hack them up while they use the force, but Luke coming in and slowly taking out the lightsaber and then going through those death troopers was quite interesting that they were able to recreate that style. And you did see both styles because Ahsoka Tano does have the one that she had in the Clone Wars animated series, except this time they actually paid attention to physics. Um, Mm. You see the two styles of Jedi, the the old school pre fall of the Republic style and the uh, and the new school Obi-Wan slowly tossing a sword around. Yeah. Oh, and uh, speaking of the swords, the twist with the dark saber, that was one I did not see coming. That was clever and wonderful. Ah, yes. Of course, I'm sure people that watch the Clone Wars were very, very aware of that when it happened. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Is the Darksaber established in the Clone Wars? Yes, yes, yes it is. That character is from Clone Wars. Yeah, Bo-Katana. Oh. Okay. Not Ahsoka Tano, the, uh, the one that uh, Sackhoff plays. Yeah, Bo-Katan. Now that maybe counterbalances the uh, Jar Jar. Maybe I'll watch it for her. Aww. I, I think I've seen Jar Jar three times. And frankly, every one of those episodes, when you see him, go ahead and skip it. It's not important. Is there a skip Jar Jar button? I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> like a skip intro, skip Jar Jar. Yeah, skip Jar Jar. <laughs> so now the question goes forward with, okay, the uh, child is no longer in the arms of the Mandalorian. So where's this the show go from here, knowing that it splits off into four shows to tell a story? Yeah, and Dark Saber. Mm, right. You might be right. They set up that tension right there because he's not going to want it. He doesn't yeah. want it, but she is only going to accept it if it's like in kind of a battle victory thing. So it, that may be what they're thinking right now. Yeah, that line that uh, Grand Moff um, Gideon says where he's like, he's like, it's not about the weapon, it's about the story, was really telling. It's like, he could just give her it and she could use it to take control of Mandalore and only the people in that room would know any different, but she wants the warrior's tale to, to prove that she is worthy of the throne. And yeah, that was a very interesting setup right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, and how long till we see baby Yoda? Cause Grogu people of ba- baby Yoda, people of Grogu. They do, they do but, uh, I, I, be happy to see a season where we deal without baby Yoda and then maybe we have him pop in at the end. Well, he'll pop in as teenage Yoda. <laughs> Dye his hair, have a nose ring. And, and all he says is, I am Grogu. I yeah. am Grogu. <laughs> Just gonna Play, playing a video game. Grogu yeah. am, am I? Well, I'll tell you right now, the, the, sh- the show works on its own merits, but that show took off because of baby Yoda. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I wonder. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people watching it just for Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Uh, I wonder how much of a drop off there'll be. I think there will be a little bit. I think there will. To where they'll bring him back just because. Like, oh shit, look at the drop off case. Shoehorn him in for season four. I don't think it'll be that. I, I think that Filoni and Favreau have a story in mind and they're going to tell it. They're, yeah, they definitely seem to have a measured amount of fan service while still telling the story they want to tell. Gentlemen, any other thoughts about Mandalorian season two? Go watch it if you haven't. Right. <laughs> Although if you're if you haven't watched it, what are you doing listening to this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I cannot think of any television since Game of Thrones where you you either watch it or you don't, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be spoiled on what you're about to watch. Oh man. Right. Every time I'd go to work on a Friday, I was always trying to watch it like as soon as midnight ticks over on from Thursday into Friday morning so that I didn't have to hear spoilers when I walked into work. When Friday ticked around, I was very wary of, okay, stay off social media until you see the episode, because fools are going to spoil it if they can. Yep. I can't think of really any shows that are like that. It's it's one surprise after the other for for Star Wars fans, old and new. I mean, the, the final episode was a little spoiled for me, only in that Facebook kind of exploded, and YouTube exploded with Sebastian Stan as young Luke speculation. And mm. I was like, okay, I think I have an idea what's happening here. Oh, yeah. That doesn't take much. You're a smart nerd. You'll figure it out. Unfortunately. Yeah, really. <laughs> so what did you think? Write to us. Comments at UglyCountShow.com. And uh, keep sending us your pitches, bitches. We keep receiving them, and they're still great. Uh, Red Light, Green Light will be coming back very, very soon because this is the time of year where the news starts to really slow down. So next week, we'll probably come back and do some Red Light, Green Light. And we'll have uh, Biggs back again next week as well. Uh, But look forward to uh, other voices joining us on the show. But until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Uh, fact check Andy. Jesus, Andy. Maple Leaf Matt. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek and Merry Christmas, everyone. Stay uh, safe, yeah, happy, thing. and healthy. Happy Festivus for the rest whoa, of us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what? I kind of like the idea of Matt's ha- new handle being Jesus Andy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when is Canadian Christmas? Summertime, July 5th. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Jesus' christening, isn't it? That's why they celebrate it then? It's Jesus' bris. <laughs> and I thought you were going to announce the follow-up book to the book club being Paula Dean Stops Cooking for Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Episode right, titles. I've, I've st- <laughs> oh, you'd already stopped? Hey, everybody. No, I haven't stopped. I stopped everybody. after that. So I think Absolutely. we need to leave bringing the funny to Andy because a it's obvious only he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I beg to differ. Now I'm going to pee. Go pee, my friends. I believe he said he had to go pee. So just name it The Andy Show. Nobody can understand you, Andy. Oh, sorry. Uh, what I meant to say was... <laughs> wow. Was that Andy returning? Is that what that that, that moan was?
No. Oh, that was like, UK. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't tell the difference between Kirsten and Andy moaning? Uh-oh. That's tragic. Uh, no, no, I can't, and I'm kind of happy with that fact. <laughs> well, we of got all... another edit for the end. With, with all the editing you do and all the time you have to listen to all our voices, I'm surprised. Yes, but moans rarely come up in the show, which is a good thing. Oh. <laughs> Here's one. Oh. <laughs> I'm not saving that at all. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. How about this one then? God uh, damn it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It seems like a lot of times I'll get roped into, oh, this looks like a video I'm going to enjoy watching. And then it's the, the man babies bitching about this, that, or the other thing. And I'm like, nope, done. No, it's yeah. just hey, a, you don't bitch about side. us. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? I won't tell you, right, Kay? That's right. You just wait. When Kathleen Kennedy's out. Then Star Wars is going to get good. Mm. Assholes. Wait again. Wait again. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, toss a coin to your Witcher. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, toss a coin to your Witcher. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, toss a coin to your Witcher. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh.